out of Oklahoma City. You're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family and is sponsored in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Sad Men for Lonely Women, because at some point or another, somebody stopped loving you. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we discuss the films you would not ordinarily discuss. Wait a minute, just kidding. We begin our first ever Patreon marathon. That's right. If you follow us and uh, give us a donation at Patreon, um, you can find the web links, web links for that at our goodtrashmedia.com website. You can select a marathon. This week or this month, the marathon is from one Brigham Cole. That's right, dear listener. It's a Brigathon, and uh, we are going to be checking out lots of anime animation and so this week's film is nausicaa of the valley of the wind very very excited to be talking about that with my dear co-host surrounding me at this very table let's introduce ourselves so people know the voices speaking to their brains uh through their headphones sir to my right who are you uh, my name is dalton stewart and i'm against this unless it works okay very it's not n- a quote from the movie that's just <laughs> how i feel about this marathon all right to my left sir who are you Hi, my name's Caleb Masters, and Dustin, I suggest you surrender. There's no ship coming to rescue you. Okay, fair enough. Uh, To my left, ma'am, who are you? My name's Alexander Bohannon, and why does everything that's good for you have to taste so bad? That is a great question, and that is a very, very true fact. My name's Dustin Sells, and I'm very glad to be talking about this film with you all, and we're going to dig right into it, gang. We're going to talk a little bit of Nausicaa. Now, I want to warn you, this is not a review show. It's an analysis show, and that means we will be doing spoilerific spoiler ridges, and although not in a particularly plot heavy sort of film. We are going to talk about how it ends and uh, what happens uh, with the giant ohm bugs and uh, what have you and whatnot. So uh, you have been warned. But before we get into that, what we'll do is a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. After that, we get down to business, which requires analysis and spoilers. You have been warned. So with no further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, Voice of the Cinema, let's hear that synopsis now. Warrior pacifist. Princess Nausicaa desperately struggles to prevent two warring nations from destroying themselves and their dying planet. Big Willie style. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa, that was last month, last month, come on. Yeah, that's that's true. Just some memories you don't ever want to let go. I'm a little surprised they say she's a pacifist warrior princess in the synopsis because that is sort of a plot movement, isn't it, That, that, that that's revealed? Uh, that she's a warrior, a pacifist, or a princess? Uh, well, the princess part, not so much. The other two, a little bit more. Uh, yeah, a little bit. But uh, I, I think it's one of those plot things. It happens fairly early, and I think yeah. it's kind of central to understanding the film. So, okay. Also, it is kind of a misnomer. Or not a misnomer. Uh, what's the word I'm looking Contradiction at? in terms. There we go. Pacifist warrior. Well, you know, you can be both. Like, Military uh, intelligence. You uh, know. Buddhist monks. Yeah. You can yeah. Throw down. Military intelligence? Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Popcorn, jumbo shrimp, etc. <laughs> Moving right along. Well, let's hear those quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. I'm very curious to hear what you all had to say about this film. Let's go to my left, Miss Alexandra Bohannon. What do you have to say about the movie? I love this movie so much. It is, first of all, it's breathtaking. I mean, every cell of animation is just 
expertly crafted and gloriously rendered. And Caleb Masters lent me the Blu-ray of this film, and I was not sorely disappointed. It was uh, it's it's a masterpiece of a film, and I know that um, people have realized that this film, one of the first official by studio. Well, it's not Miyazaki's first. There's some stuff in there. Like it's a precursor to studio Ghibli. Thank you very much. Yeah. So it's a precursor to studio Ghibli. And I know that a lot of this plot gets retried in princess Mononoke, um, with more plot because this is, has less plot. But despite that, I was not dissatisfied to watch this film again. I feel that, um, it, it's it's beautiful, breathtaking, moving, and um, after the credits rolled, I sat on the couch listening to that theme music um, in the main main DVD menu for probably two hours, just sitting there listening to it over and over, and it still didn't wear out its welcome. The score is absolutely fantastic for this film, and and I feel like the story is something that while it has some pretty prominent themes and some it has a it's got this parable type structure it's really trying to drive home these messages i feel like it doesn't do in in an overtly preachy way which i appreciate and then of course the method of telling this story um is just masterful and done with a beautiful and even hand by miyazaki thank you very much miss alexander bohan and mr caleb masters what's your thumbs up thumbs down review yeah, I absolutely love this film. Uh, this is the third time I saw it. I watched it once in college, once uh, recently at Christmas after I bought the uh, Miyazaki uh, Blu-ray set, and then once for this film, and it gets better every single time. Uh, the animation still holds up really, really, really well. Um, it's pretty consistent with all the, the Ghibli films. Uh, I really like it as a as a fan of that studio because you can see again as Alex mentioned it I don't think it retreads the same ideas but it expounds upon those ideas that are planted in this film in later films without actually doing the same thing twice um, it, you can see uh, the you know the ideas that Miyazaki was interested in talking about in this film and how he touches on them in later films so I think it's a really great a there uh, I, I do want to mention the dubbing uh, which uh, wasn't uh, wasn't uh, I, I don't think this film was dubbed until it was properly brought over to the United States by the Walt Disney Company I looked up the dub year, dub release year is 2005. 2005? That's why Shia LaBeouf still sounds mildly pubescent. There's actually an earlier dub from the 90s from when the Weinstein Company uh, released it as Warriors of the Wind. Um, That's uh, all but lost at this point, though. It's like a 92 minute version. I heard that cut is really weird and bad. It's a different movie. Yeah. Yeah. The Weinsteins uh, went to town on it. Ah, oh boy. That's a, it's, it's a bummer. I'm glad I never saw that version. Uh, but no, I thought Patrick Stewart was great, uh, especially notable. Uh, but the whole cast was really serviceable. And, you know, when it comes to anime, there's always that question mark. Do you watch the subbed or do you watch the dubbed? Because a lot of times, no matter how good the anime is, the dubbing, the budget for dubbing just isn't there. So you get a lot of really low-grade quality voice acting to, to do that. And... Uh, with with Studio Ghibli, this is not the case. Uh, I always recommend you check their films out and the dubbing, and this film is no exception. Um, but no, uh, stunning animation. Uh, looks great on Blu-ray, and I think if you are a fan of anime, uh, you really should check this out because uh, a lot of the ideas that anime as an art form derive from come from this movie. The post-World War II, the post-nuclear uh, Hiroshima all those ideas that Japan you know, has been wrestling re- wrestling with, uh, you know, and kind of uh, was a really big inspiration to, you know, the way anime went after the 40s and 50s. Super crucial. So highly recommended. 
Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. Mr. Dalton Stewart, you are a newcomer to the anime and to this film. What was your thumbs up, thumbs down review? Uh, I mean, I don't know about newcomer. I, I've, I've come to it enough to know it's not a place I like going um, <laughs> in general. Fair enough. Um, this is a delightful film. Uh, I Aww. actually, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, it's beautiful. This is the first Hayao Miyazaki film that I have ever seen, um, and I feel Aww. like. Are, are you okay? Such I'm just ch- having such happy feels right now. <laughs> no, you're so lucky though because you're seeing his first big hit first. Like no one else. That's you no guys else are too that. happy right now. I wish I'd hated it. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't though. I liked you it. You monster. <laughs> I liked it a lot. Uh, it's it's a it's a pretty film. Uh, it's it's adorable. It's it's precious, but it's heavy mm-hmm. and weighty. It does so so much, uh, and it does it all so right. The film is a little into itself uh, in terms of its uh, ideology, but um, it's not wrong. I mean, nothing it's saying is like inherently. It's all saying things that are correct and are important messages. It's just you know uh, a little on the nose at times, but uh, that's not always a problem. Sometimes things uh, deserve to be a little on the nose, uh, especially when. This is ostensibly a family film. Uh, I mean, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a children's film, but it, you know, it's a family film. It's there's nothing in here that uh, would prevent, uh, uh, you know, sharing with small children. But also, there's plenty here to pick apart and uh, think about for adults. So, uh, it's a lot of fun. It's very funny. It's charming. Uh, I'm glad I watched it. Excellent, excellent. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. This movie does the good thing that fantasy films do when they work, which is create worlds that you want more of. Absolutely. And uh, I think that's really the place in which it succeeds. Um, again, it does great things as far as its ideology, and um, as Dalton says, it's not wrong. There's not really a misstep there. Um, although there is uh, a few moments where it could be complicated by certain Japanese preoccupations, and we'll talk more about that later, perhaps. Uh, but that being said... Uh, fine and fun. I also watched the dub version. I was very, very impressed with one Prince Humperdinck, that's right, Chris Sarandon, uh, doing one of the voices, uh, just because he can do that, you know, lazy, sort of laconic uh, prince who is all into himself, and uh, just he could do it for days in his sleep. And and we've already talked about Patrick Stewart is fantastic uh, in his role as well. And so, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. I enjoyed it. His his role is uh, not Gandalf. Not as not Gandalf, right? Um, Master of Swords, not Obi Wan. But he has a. There's a very weird facial hair pattern that goes on in the future. Apparently, you know, people's mustaches are huge, are, are quite Monsters. disturbing. That's the uh, that's the poison spores. They just uh, cause outrageous mustache growth. <laughs> Guys, the future doesn't sound half bad all of a sudden. I don't know. <laughs> Be nice to have a mustache. But anyway, uh, moving right along. Uh, I liked it a lot. It was a lot of fun, and I'm glad to have watched it. Uh, so there you go, dear listener. Now you know our biases. They are generally pro. But as I look upon my watch, I realize it's. It's time to play the game. That's right, dear listener, and our game this week is our favorite animated heroines. Uh, that's right, favorite animated heroines, brought to you by Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. That's a really hard thing to say quickly. That's very true. Accurate statements all around. So let's just hear what the favorites are. I go to you first, Dalton Stewart. Who are your selections? The the first character that came to mind was Merida from uh, Pixar's Brave, uh, voiced by the amazing Kelly MacDonald. Um, It's not a film without problems. Um, It starts off being this really great... uh, you know, story about a 
a young female character, and then she saves the day by sewing. So, you know, it's definitely uh, considered one of Pixar's lesser films for a reason, uh, but there's still a lot to like there. And, um, you know, uh, as somebody of with of Scottish ancestry, uh, it's dope. I, I like it a lot. Um, little redhead girl running around uh, firing uh, arrows and whatnot. It's cool. I like it a lot. Um, I also want to give a shout-out to... I think the first badass lady character I ever saw as a youth, and that was uh, Mulan from yes. Disney's Mulan. Um, I'm trying to think if that was, I think that was the first time um, I remember, because the movie was like, I was like eight or nine, I want to say, when that film came out-ish, um, somewhere in there, maybe a little older than that. Um, and yeah, Mulan uh, throws the fuck down. Also, that movie's uh, about uh, fending off the Mongol invaders, uh, which was about the coolest thing Disney had done at that point. Uh, in my childhood, I was like, what is this? This is so cool. Um, so those were the, the first two that immediately came to mind uh, for me. Um, you know, I thought about some other ones, but uh, frankly, I, I find them too problematic. I thought about Jasmine, uh, but we've talked about uh, her problems as a character at length on our discussion over Latin. Um, I thought about Ariel, the Little Mermaid, but um, it's got some problems with that one too. But uh, how the only thing that's important in life is finding yourself a man. So uh, those were the two I thought about. There you go, there you go. Flannery O'Connor once said, A good man is hard to find. That seems to be the predicament of all Disney films. But we're moving right on to Mr. Caleb Masters. What are your selections? All right, so I've got a couple. Uh, Dalton, firstly, I mean, Mulan's kind of a given, I think, at this point. I mean, she's kind of like the most badass character Disney's ever made by a lot. Yeah, she's really cool. She's really cool. Awesome soundtrack. She climbed that pole thing before the other guys. I mean, come on. It was so great. I freaking love that movie, and I love the character Mulan. Uh, secondly, going to hit up another non-Disney animated uh, princess type, uh, and that's Anastasia. Um, really, really great character. That oh, that film does not get enough love. Dude, that movie is so good. It is. It's so weird, but it's so great. That character is so that smart. That movie is and bonkers. It that's, really is. Yeah, it doesn't get enough love because it is so fucking weird. Well, I guess, I, I mean, I remember watching as a kid thinking, man, this is weird, but this this character is super awesome. I was super into her when I was a kid, so there's that. Um, and to keep it on the anime uh, freight train, I'm going to go with Claymore. Really uh, awesome little anime series there. If you haven't caught it, she is like this super warrior princess this giant freaking massive sword and she just walks around and kill i mean i mean she's she's i don't want to spoil but she's she's a lady with a mission but she also literally just gets like everyone's trying to kill her and she just uh defends herself pretty in pretty pretty awesome ways so yeah those are my uh my selections well thank you very much mr caleb masters miss alexander bohannon the only female at the table what are your favorite heroine picks well i I'm so glad that I can just play this game with really like no pro work at all because it's so easy to think of all these animated heroines off the top of my head. Of course, I went to Mulan first because that was Mulan is my Disney princess. I watched that tape so much. I have the cassette tape of the Mulan soundtrack. And when I had a car with a tape deck, I blared that always and the fact that i can you can hear jonathan like you can hear the hansons play true to your heart because that's the ending credit song to that (laughs) movie just to date it a little bit for you oh god i love that movie so much um another animated heroine with uh with whom i am i love deeply is um haruhi from or orin high school host club which is a delightful animated series in which you have a uh Due to circumstances outside her control, Haruhi, in a kind of similar vein of Mulan, has to dress up like a dude to order to re- retain her scholarship at this 
um, rather wealthy private school. There's a lot of shenanigans and reasons why, but there's it's really campy and it makes fun of traditional girly animes, which is great. Um, then there's also Raven from Teen Titans. Raven, oh, yeah, yeah, voiced oh, by man. Tara Strong. So oh, God so bless Tara Strong. good. She is. Raven a, was Raven was dope. Raven was my favorite character in Teen Titans. Oh uh, yeah, I can speak for hours about her. Oh God, so good. Um, let's see, what's another one? I don't know. Joy from Inside Out. She's a really excellent female character. Yeah. I'd say most of Riley, Riley, and Riley's head people. All of the women characters in that movie are exceptionally strong, which I appreciate. And and then of course for another Disney pick that is still kind of it's problematic in terms of uh, colonial uh, theory. Uh, Pocahontas, which was my other uh, go to Baltim Disney musical of choice but she does despite all of the the shit regarding disney and how they portray native peoples um she is depicted as a very strong woman who uh doesn't need to go with john smith at the end of the movie and is perfectly fine you know being her own person uh, on her in her tribe so those are just some of my favorite uh, female heroines. If you want to talk to me more, about I was about them. to say it sounds like you have a few more that you oh, could talk of about. But if you uh, no, I wasn't inviting you. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm trying to think at this. Uh, no, <laughs> Arthur's like, <laughs> stop talking, please. Where is the shepherd's hook? Uh, yes. So that those will be. That's the short list. If you want to talk to me about the long list, hit me up on Twitter, and we'll have a, a grand old female <laughs> female animated character super party. All right. Thank you very much for that Miss Alexandra Bohannon uh, I'm also going to mention the girl worth fighting for that's Mulan I think it's absolutely uh, one of the best uh, depictions we find in Disney and uh, very very important there but I'm also going to mention Coraline uh, stop motion animated film uh, written by Neil Gaiman mm-hmm. and uh, she is the hero of her story there is a boy character he's useless and uh, she must fight all the foes and conquer all the mysteries and what have you and whatnot that are the story of that film that I'm not going to spoil at this point and uh, definitely definitely a raw raw uh, go girl go kind of movie and definitely worth your time excellent excellent well thank you very much and guys you can keep that conversation going via social media stay tuned to the end of the show to find out where you can find us and keep that conversation continuing but now i believe it's time to get down to business That's right, and that business in question, dear friends and listeners, is analysis, and we're so glad to be bringing that to you right now. We're going to have a roundtable sort of discussion uh, today. There's about three or four uh, very significant themes that are running throughout the film, and so what I'm going to do is sort of just raise the question of them and then let our dear co-host chime in about that. First and foremost, the most on the nose of the noses of this particular film, um, dog noses, if you will, um, is uh, because that's what the masks all look like. They look Oddly oh like, yeah, they definitely look like puppies. Yeah, very very puppy Saint Bernard or Basset Houndish sort yes. of strangeness. Um, but that's environmentalism. And so, what do you guys see and read in the film in its environmental themes? There, there certainly seems to be a a certain amount of uh, the spirit of Ian Malcolm at work uh, throughout uh, Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind. Um, Ian Malcolm, uh, Jeff Goldblum's character in Jurassic Park, uh, talks a lot about. Um, Mankind's insistence on controlling uh, chaos, uh, in this case nature, uh, which is inherently chaotic. Um, and th- throughout Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind, there, Miyazaki's got this this theme that's kind of working throughout the narrative um, of 
humanity's just like refusal to admit that it doesn't know any better um, and to kind of let the the natural balance of, of the ecosystem figure itself out, which it has, uh, as Nausicaa learns about halfway through the film. Um, the poison forest is actually um, poisoned because it's stucking in all the uh, pollution from a thousand years ago uh, that mankind did um, and trying to clean it <clears throat> and um, actually creating drinkable water uh, for, for humankind to uh, pull up from. Uh, and uh, Uma Thurman's not having it. She wants to burn the whole thing down. Um, and there is a certain element, I think, of mankind's incessant need to try and control uh, that which does not wish to be controlled. And uh, I, I thought about Ian Malcolm a lot watching this film. Yeah, the overt environmental themes are pretty pretty present throughout the film. You know, the concept that we we have these issues that are kind of spiraling out of control, but we as humans cause the initial problems to arise. And then by trying to solve those problems inappropriately, we then made everything worse. Um, you know, war causing a lot of the problems. I then, of course, I know Miyazaki probably wasn't contemplating global warming and things of that nature, but that's a primary concern because you have, you know, humans triggering global warming effects across the globe. And while we acknowledge it and we're trying, some people, some politicians and some environmentalists, they're trying to make things happen to improve the situation, but there's a lot that can't really be done. And it, and it makes one wonder um, if we're going to end up in a, in a water war like they do in Mad Max, which this, that seems kind of a, a good parallel here, you know, Nausicaa and Mad Max, because the arguing over resources in this kind of dilapidated poison planet um, and things of that nature. It just kind of get, gets you wondering about, you know, humans are kind of at fault for all this. And, you know, our bad solutions are one thing that contributes a lot to the problem. Yeah, I, I think the movie is definitely kind of reflecting on the consequences of our decisions not to take care of our planet. But I also think there's this idea of nature still fighting to survive on its own. Uh, notice that underneath all of the pollution, there was still life uh, that existed. There was pure water underneath. And I think there, there is that idea that, yes, you know, while mankind has done all it can to, I mean, un, unwittingly done so much to destroy the planet and the resources that are at hand, there's still this idea that nature will rise and, and conquer, uh, rise from the ashes, so to speak, you know, because uh, because underneath the forest there was water and, and breathable air. And notice that and the fact that insects are kind of a big, big deal is just I, I, they represent this for, just sheer force of nature uh, in the in the film. And I, th I think the, the you know. I mean, the core, especially by the conclusion of the film, you're really looking at this idea that nature cannot be contained or controlled. Uh, and no matter what we do to this planet, the Earth's going to survive. Nature's going to survive long after we're gone. Uh, absolutely, Caleb. And I think there's a thoroughly Buddhist sort of understanding about harmony with nature that's also deeply embedded in the film. Um, yes, ma'am. Well, I was just considering the name of the giant bugs is Om, but Om is the sacred syllable in, in Hinduism. Um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of in influences from Eastern uh, religious traditions in, in this film in terms of being with harmony in nature. 
Yeah, and, and then again, the fundamental idea being uh, that you sort of need to let go and allow nature to do its own thing. I think there's definitely this idea that as humans, you can manipulate nature to a certain extent, but only to that extent which it's willing to sort of bend with you. It's sort of that bonsai uh, tree uh, sort of philosophy in which you are definitely using wire and clippers to uh, to force certain ideas and aesthetics on the tree, but you're also letting the tree do it in its own unique and beautiful thing. And uh, it, it seems like the film is definitely definitely advocating for that there there's a moment towards the end you know the whole um when she becomes the messiah figure who walks across the field of gold um and uh that with those little tendrils that come out of the ohm creatures uh, that is very reminiscent of uh, avatar uh the james cameron film and i could not but think of that and a similar sort of idea that this sort of connectedness of humankind to nature and insofar as we can live symbiotically uh then there is something successful powerful and beautiful uh, that can happen otherwise it's a very very destructive sort of force that is possible so it seems to me that the film is working on a great many levels uh in its environmental message i think it's also working on several levels in its uh militaristic pacifistic and uh war um discourse what do you guys think about that undeniable uh, the the film has a whole lot to say about just how pointless war is. And a question for you guys: Like I, third time watching this now, I'm still not totally sure why these people were fighting. They were just fighting because they had always been fighting, right? I'm sure it was over resources of some sort. But they, the Tolmikians, well, who honestly pretty were pretty villainous most of the time. But I mean, you had the Tolmikians fighting these other tribes, and then you had your people in the Wind Valley who just got caught up in the middle of it. But I, I was never, I, I never fully understood exactly what it was they were fighting over. They just wanted to destroy each other. I think in the film particular, it's a weapons race because of the... Uh, the well, yeah, because the, the ancient one, right? Yeah, the, well, the, uh, yeah, the, the, the giant warrior. Um, and, uh, by, and, sort of, and, of course, that's sort of a symbolic of the bomb. Right? Oh, no, no, undeniable. Oh, was it, it, it Dustin? It, it, I hadn't it, noticed. It, it, yeah. That's right. Well, I know, and if that, I mean, there's there's tons and t- I mean, uh, tons of parallels about between this and World War Two. I know you have to remember this film was made only 40 years after the bomb dropped. So I have, uh, you know, I think that especially with Miyazaki, you know, probably being uh, very very young at that time, it very very, uh, you know relevant uh in his throughout his entire life uh so no i mean and i think the film gets around to saying that you know all of it's pretty senseless we're all fighting over and in this case an arms rate which we're fighting to be the most powerful but i i mean my question i always come back to but why were they fighting why did we have to have the biggest weapon like why did we need xyz so that we could have be the best so that we could rule rule over what like there wasn't really anything there wasn't even a real resource at hand other than the weapon to my understanding that they were fighting over and i i guess just saying that humans we like to fight i I don't know i mean that's going back to the philosophical question because i i think i got i was where dustin was he was like well they wanted the big weapon but you're asking more philosophical question of why would they even be wanting that doesn't make any sense i mean there's why don't we just band together and i mean it's a it's an issue that comes along with you know intense intense feelings of hyper nationalist pride and and identification as not necessarily we are a planet full of peoples but we're all a part of our sacred tribe and we're going to stick up for our tribe and if you're not with our tribe you're against us uh, which we can get really into I mean that is very reflective of U.S. politics and U.S. foreign policy Um, it it just things of that nature and just how it's not necessarily in order to control control or what resources we're squabbling over it's just the principle of the thing that we have to be the best we have to have be the winners whatever the winning is we're gonna we're gonna win 
I mean, again, I think this is what the film's kind of getting at. Like, we're going to win an apocalyptic wasteland yes. <laughs> by killing each other uh, uh, with a planet we've ruined. Caleb, I just wanted to, to mention, you were, you were talking about uh, the impact of World War II on Hayao Miyazaki. Um, I actually just uh, looked this up. Uh, he, The town he uh, grew up in, um, his father worked in a was actually the owner of an airplane um, factory uh, during yes. the war. Um, yes. And uh, because an airplane factory is something you would want to blow up um, if you were at war with the country, um, they moved uh, to another town, but that town was firebombed um, by the Allied forces during the war. So that was something that, <clears throat> while he wasn't uh, in uh, Nagasaki or Hiroshima, his town was very much bombed. Um, so that was something that had a lasting impact, that he has said had a lasting impact on his life. Just wanted to throw that in there since you had mentioned it earlier. Yeah, no, I'm glad you brought that up. And something, you know, I, I know that we are looking at a couple of Miyazaki's works this month, but it's something that is very relevant is um, he really is into the idea of planes uh, and technology as an art form. And I do think you see that a little, some of those ideas are planted in this film, although certainly not followed through with. But uh, you'll see more of that, like with the wind rises, where he's looking at people who build beautiful things that are that are misused as weapons or, or um, used in vain for the wrong reasons. I, and I think that to some degree, you see a little better in this film as well. Absolutely, Caleb. Uh, and you know, there's nothing that connects the dots. I think with the environmental message and this uh, this uh, pacifist message that's going on in the film as well is the idea that the fallout of these sorts of arms races is going to end in the destruction of the planet. It's going to end in uh, sort of a resulting uh, overall aff- affectation of uh, the environmental. Um, ecosystem of the world that's that's going to have terrible terrible effects of course we see this all throughout japanese cinema that's why we have the godzilla films and and uh, those kind of things these terrible results of what happens with uh, the use of nuclear bombs and uh, it, it, so I, I think there's there's a there's a really easy way in which both of those messages sort of work out together um i, I really thought of planet of the apes quite a bit as i was watching this you know these terrible results and evolution going in different and strange unusual directions based on uh, sort of the failure of humanity to properly properly steward the resources that they have received uh, in, in um, you know, the existing uh, material world. So very, very good stuff, guys. Thank you very much for that. Last thing I want to talk about is a little bit of feminism because, uh, yeah, Nasuka, she's kind of a rock star. And uh, I can dig on her, but she, there might she, be some problems, too. Yeah, she's the best at everything that ever was. She's kind of a badass. So what, what do we have to say about the uh, feminist message in Nasuka Gang? Maybe nothing? I don't no, know. no, no. I, I mean, I'm I, I think everybody chewing. was waiting for Alex to talk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, I'm just chewing. It's, for me, it's an interesting contrast between Nausicaa and Uma Thurman's character. I think her name is Ku... Yeah, I'm just going to keep saying Uma Thurman. Uma Thurman's character. Evil um, McEvilson. Epic, yeah. epic armor woman. Well, basically, because she's got the no arm thing going, like Furiosa, which <laughs> that, is pretty that, cool. Did you, that line about her husband, she's like, she's I like, wish it was the, awesome. The husband's going to find out that I've got way less parts or something of that nature. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Ew. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Very strange um, line. Yeah, it was. it's an interesting thing. I wonder if in the the Japanese uh, that made was something else. I don't know. Anyway. Um, but yeah, it, it's an interesting contrast between you have these two different presentations of um, strong female characters. Because you can't not argue that Uma Thurman's character is a strong female character. She just uses different principles in which to 
lead people. Um, her, it's I've read in phil- various philosophical tracts that you know there's there, a lot of people you can either lead out of a place of love or you can lead out of a place of fear. Nausicaa is choosing leading out of a place of love. She cares and deeply and emotionally invested in her people and everything of that nature. She wants her planet to survive. She wants the oom and the bugs and the trees to survive. Um, but then you have Uma Thurman's character who's leading out of a place of extreme reactionary fear. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of... Well, just like how in the Bible and other religious texts, for instance, the Bible says, you know, perfect love casteth out fear. And, and if you lead out of this place of fear, extreme reaction, you're going to have a weaker, you're going to have a weaker leadership component. You're not going to be able to do things as strongly or as correctly because you're so blinded and reactionary by your fear. And and I think that it's really fascinating to see both of these different leadership styles come out of uh, of women doing the leading themselves and that a woman is actually allowed to be a messiah figure, especially how in the earlier part, everyone thinks that's going to be a man in the parable. Yeah. I, I, uh, really like the character of, uh, Nausicaa. Um, it's a kind of a Miyazaki again. If you follow his films, he usually picks uh, female heroines to be his main characters. Princess Mononoke, there's a man, but he's also he also meets Princess Mononoke, who's kind of like a supporting main character. I don't know; it's really weird. She, she doesn't show up until like halfway through the film, but ends up being very pivotal to that to that story. But I, um, I, I really think uh, this film is uh, again ahead of its time, 1984, I believe. Uh, you know, which not only is that you know uh, empowered female characters, you know female um savior or, or messiah types that's not really in pop culture so much even in live action pop culture at that time so i found this to be really really cutting edge and again kind of maybe laying some of the, the groundwork for you know early feminists uh and and not just animation but in uh, live action films i think it's really cool though uh seeing um some of the how how like they they do play off of her as a woman, she's a little more sensitive to nature. Um, you see the, in the flashbacks and things like that. And, and it ultimately brings uh, around the idea that love uh, and this kind of sensitivity to the people and nature is what's going to save the human race, uh, which is why she survives in the end. And uh, Dalton and I were watching this together, and you you were like, I'm so certain that she is going to die. Oh, I was 100% certain she was going to bite it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it was really, real a really nice twist of faith that she survived, and that her really her uh, her love and self sacrifice really was what brought everyone together. In the she end, she didn't die. I thought she definitely died. I thought but she then died was resurrected on the third day by the Ohms. Uh, I, I guess I should clarify. No, she, yeah. Dustin's correct. I, I think she. Let me rephrase that. I assumed at the end of the film she would be dead. That she'd be dead. Let me rephrase yeah, that. Yeah, she would die in and stay grave. dead. Yes, uh, Caleb, you you touched on something that I, I want to go ahead and. and follow through and Alex touched on it very briefly you touched on um, the the nurturing aspects of Nausicaa as a character um, I think Miyazaki uh, pretty nimbly um, avoids the pitfall of this film kind of uh, pedestal is just a different kind of cage my man uh, of treating women as though they are some sort of ethereal uh, wonder that that will always be better than men and while that's correct um, 
it's you know it's troubling in narrative sometimes um, because you you got to be careful when you're doing that kind of story. And I think again Miyazaki really nimbly avoids uh, that trap by making the primary antagonist of this film also be a woman. Um, the, the, this so the societies that were being shown seems to be structured around uh, matriarchal power. Um, the the princess seems to be one of the most highest ranking positions in all of the three kingdoms that we are we are shown, uh, and it's not you know. Um, a uh, position of um, ceremonial power. It it does seem to be uh, the princess is given uh, as much, if not more uh, choice and um, decision-making power as anybody else in the, in these kingdoms that we see. And I think that's really interesting. But again, Caleb, you you talked about how Nausicaa does seem to have this, this connection to nature and this, this, this nurturing aspect uh, to herself that leads her to be able to basically fix the human race. And again, I just wanted to touch on the fact that Miyazaki is, pretty brilliant and, and not getting yeah. trapped yeah he doesn't i mean i don't feel like he writes her as a stereotypical woman who just happens to be, be a messiah either i think he makes her a very interesting well-rounded character who just happens to be who happens to be sensitive yeah i think it could be very easily not necessarily that miyazaki himself um would be stereotypical if he didn't have the choice of having uma thurman as the main protagonist if he had just somebody else a, a man be that character but I think that it could definitely be read stereotypically. So when well, having no, 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 I'm not saying. That, oh, I didn't think that you were saying that at all. Yeah, no, I'm just saying I'm not saying that's a choice he would have been making. It's right, just, you have to. Culture does not exist in a vacuum. Right, uh, just because that's not your intent doesn't mean you aren't playing into a thing that society says. Precisely. So yeah, no, and I, again, I just think the choice to have Uma Thurman be the antagonist is an interesting one that stops. Um, you know that sort of unintended uh, message from coming across. Yeah, I think in that she is a complete success as Nausicaa's foil and a completely necessary foil. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think another thing that's kind of interesting is that, you know, unlike Mulan, where Mulan basically becomes a man so that she can be heroic, uh, Nausicaa never ceases to be feminine. Right. You know, And uh, then that can lead to a lot of internalized misogyny because it also, you know, just like... Um, other television shows that deal with like gender bent stuff where women have to be men, it it per- continuously purports that men are the still the strong ones that we have to even pretend to be men. We women have to pretend to be men to have any kind of strength or authority or relatability. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, though, in terms of the feminism of the film is this, is that I do feel like that there, is, there are moments, there are flashes in this film in which the gaze of the camera is quite objectifying. Of, yeah, you know, weirdly and uncomfortably. weirdly and uncomfortably. I mean, the shortness of her skirt and sort of upskirt shots this, that we this have. This weird here. moment where her not Pikachu uh, crawls under her cleavage, her, her boobs. Yeah. yeah, real un, real troubled by that. Considering this character seems like she's probably fifteen. Yeah, yeah, kind of a weird choice. I um, would I would have put her in different colored because I think she is wearing pants because everyone no, 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 around no. She, her she is wearing pants. See, well, no, but the, like I've seen this film before when I was really little, but rewatching this film it. I, it took me a second to realize in that first scene that those were pants and we weren't just getting just like straight up butt shots of her when she's crawling on the um carcass. Yeah, there, apparently there's some color grading issues with some of the uh, the prints of this film where that's much less clear. The uh, uh, Blu-ray copy that I watched with Caleb, was, it was quite clear, um, but, but that's irrelevant because um, regardless of whether or not those are pants or tights or nothing, uh, you can still see her little butt pretty uh, pretty clearly. It's weird. I don't care for it at all. 
Yeah, and I, I mean, that that's just one of those places in which I think uh, the patriarchal nature of society, even when a film is doing everything it can um, to uh, sort of speak against that, that there are complications that happen throughout. Most definitely. Well, and I, I mean, I think there is something worth noting of, like, uh, the cultural difference between Western and Eastern culture. I'm not saying it's, it justifies it, because I agree it is kind of a weird choice, but I, you do wonder if that has, I mean, I legitimately, I do wonder if, how much that might play into it. Cause I know like the sec, uh, the, uh, like the cultural sensitivity to like uh, sex and the way women are drawn. And it's just, it's a lot different than it is in the Western culture. I think. Uh, I think that's because uh, Lolita complexes uh, are uh, cross cultural. Yeah. I mean, that's, that seems to be a common trope that like the upskirt shot, regardless of if pants are being worn or, or not, um, is just, that's just a, a thing I've noticed in a lot of, uh, Japanese animation and even in just, just pretty tame things. And you, you do kind of wonder why. Um, and it just seems maybe that's just part of, um, like a almost like weird cultural literacy or something. I don't. And it's gross and icky. Um, but that doesn't. I mean, we've got the, you know uh, Western animation, um, American culture. Everybody's got things that are gross and icky that look even more gross and icky uh, from the outside looking in. Yes, um, we've we've got some things that are truly goddamn horrific um, that we do that are is just common parlance. Uh, as you said, cultural literacy. Um, we have plenty of things uh, in the West that we do that uh, are disgusting and troubling. Oh yeah, um, but because we're just kind of inoculated uh, with it at such a forever. <laughs> I was going to say at such a young age, but really, I mean, as soon as you start consuming media, some of these things uh, you're going to be exposed to. So I think we're yeah. less troubled by those things in our own culture. Oh yeah. Excellent, excellent. Well, thank you very much, dear co-host, for that brilliant discussion. Um, you can, uh, again, stay tuned to the end of the show and hear how you can be part of the conversation with us all. But now we're going to take just a moment and hear a word from our sponsors. Good Trash Genrecast is brought to you in part by SadMenForLonelyWomen.com. Have you ever found yourself yearning for the glorious moments of your past? I know I have, but we can't offer that to you. But we can give you the next best thing, Um, The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness, a collection of the most shared, viewed, and favorited articles from sadmenforlonelywomen.com. The Beginner's Guide to Loneliness is available over at Amazon.com. Pick up your copy today. So now we come to a part of our show, dear listener, in which we uh, render a verdict to shelf or trash this film and recommend our else's or instead's. I'm very excited to hear what those selections may be. I begin with you, Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Shelf or trash, else or instead? I'm going to say shelf. Okay. Whew, that was scary. Uh, I didn't know what I was going to say. Um, I mean, I still don't really uh, care for anime, guys. Um, we've got three more weeks to find out how I feel uh, at the end of this month. To pair with it, I would definitely recommend um, 2015's Mad Max Fury Road. I, the parallels <laughs> between the two films uh, are so clear that I'm, I'm quite curious if George Miller's a Miyazaki fan. I would not be surprised to find out he was. Uh, I would also recommend a film that came up a little bit earlier, and that is Steven Spielberg's Jurassic Park. Um, the careers of Spielberg and uh, Miyazaki are often uh, compared to one another. And I think you would uh, behoove yourself to pair the two because uh, to compare the two rather because one Jurassic Park is the shit, but also there is a lot of narrative similarity, um, the uh, capability um, of children 
um, despite them frequently being underestimated, their ability to go ahead and really perform as well as adults in certain situations, um, the insistence on um, meddling that uh, that humanity seems to have, um, and uh, things like that. So yeah, those are the films that I would recommend you pair with this. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Ms. Alexander Bohannon, what say you shelf or trash, and what is your else or instead? I would definitely shelf this film. It is glorious and beautiful and I mean, I definitely cried several times while watching this film. I would recommend for Elsa instead uh, Avatar because not the uh, last airbender flavor, but James Cameron's uh, environmental uh, picture. Uh, It seems also pretty relevant in terms of its message. I would also recommend Princess Mononoke just due to the fact that uh, the, the plots are fairly similar and it also features empowered female people. And then uh, of course the rest of Miyazaki's oeuvre. Um, You could pick any and watch it with this film and not have a bad day at all. You'd actually be having a very good day. Excellent. Thank you very much, Ms. Alexander Bohan and Mr. Caleb Masters. Shelf or trash, else or instead? Well, it's on my shelf. Uh, Else, I would uh, also, uh, as Alex mentioned, uh, Princess Mononoke, if I was going to recommend any film from his his body of work, that would be the one I'd I'd say, if you like this movie, you definitely also want to check that out. And I think it really expands on a a lot of those themes. Uh, And it gets gets a lot more in-depth. It goes a lot more more into the environmentalism, I think, than this film does. Uh, But, uh, man, just beautiful, stunning animation and and and, and scripting and, and everything about that film is, is wonderful. Um, I'd also recommend uh, Stanley Kubrick's Doctor Strangelove. Uh, great if you're looking for a film that is really critiquing a nuclear war and the arms race and all that. I mean, you can't. And it's a fun. It's actually kind of a darkly humorous movie that I really enjoy. Um, from time to time. And lastly, uh, I want to uh, give a shout out to a 2008 Best Animated uh, Picture nomination. Didn't win. It's a little film called Walt with Bashir, uh, which is a film uh, set in the Middle East uh, from the perspective. The director wrote a story about his time as a soldier in like a 1980s Middle East. The, the animation in that film is amazing, and I have seen very few ever even touch it. Uh, it's unique. And it also brings some insight, kind of looking at how the, the impact of America's intervention in the Middle East has affected people who actually live there and, and create this kind of really weird, uh, uh, unstable uh, world to live in. So anyway, it's uh, th- th- those would be my recommendations. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I am also going to say Shelf. I like this movie a lot. It's a lot of fun. That's a unanimous table. That's a strange occurrence these days, actually. And uh, so I like it a lot. And I think what else you should watch, I mean, if you want to think about something that's high fantasy, that has environmental messaging, that is um, something that dealing with the questions of mechanized warfare and yeah. uh, extreme weapons, yeah. you need to be yeah. watching The Fellowship of the Ring. Yeah, I knew that's what you're going to yeah. say. I mean, a of good course, one. Yeah, I mean, that, 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 uh, of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, Fellowship, I think, is the... Uh, the best place to be, and once you do that, you're probably going to keep watching, and that's, you know, I'm not mad about that at all. So uh, there you have it, dear listener. Those are recommends uh, for our Elsa's and Instead's and our shelves and what have you and whatnot. You can find us all on social media to have the conversation continue. Um, one of those locations um, I want Alex to talk about for just a moment. Where is that? You can find Good Trash Media at facebook.com forward slash good trash media you can find us also on patreon at patreon.com forward slash gtgc also um there's another means of social media conversation that can be um a uh, part of your conversation dear listener and what is that mr dalton stewart 
Ladies and gentlemen, you can find the Good Trash uh, genre cast and Good Trash Media as a whole on Twitter at good underscore trash. Thanks, Dalton. I appreciate that. Now, I'm going to warn you about next week because <laughs> even though we are definitely in the midst of our brigathon of anime animation films from the great island of Japan, uh, we are still going to continue with our regular host picks. And that means one Miss Alexandra Bohannon gets to make a selection. Alex, we are waiting with bated breath. Sure thing. Well, we're going to watch a an animated a Japanese animated feature from the late 2000s entitled Summer Wars. I know that this probably no, I'm getting no reactions. It's fine. I was trying to work within the Brigathon theme. Um it's it's a good film. I I caught it very recently and um I think that our hosts and myself will have plenty to say whenever I watched it. I was like, "Gee, it would be great." to have our team work on an analysis for this film. Well, there you go, dear listener. We're going to be checking, taking a look at Summer Wars, and so pay attention to that. Take a look at Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Watch any movie and have a conversation, because movies are so much more fun than just 90 minutes and a bucket of popcorn. It's about the conversation that follows thereafter. So have that conversation, and we'll see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandro Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genre Cast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit GoodTrashMedia.com. Wow! Y'all look like you've seen a ghost! It's me, dear friends, alive and kicking. Well, alive anyway. We may have lost my chance to say this on last week's episode when it would have been more fitting considering we were watching Wild Wild West. But heaven knows I haven't lost my sense of humor. No, not even when I lost my lung, my spleen, two legs, my Twitter account, 35 feet of small intestine, and my ability to reproduce. Never... Did I lose my sense of humor on Twitter? Um, I was going to do that last week for Wild Wild West um, because it's the best scene in the movie. Um, but uh, Alex has been co-opting uh, social network stuff lately, so I didn't get a chance to do it. Thanks, Dustin. Once again, that's at good underscore trash.